When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. I went to our first practice, and 30 minutes later, I told my assistant coaches, I said, hey, I'm going to be a pretty good coach this year because we got the best player in the league. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. What is happening? Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm your host, John Little. Great to have you along for another week. I promised I would be back this week. And look, here I am, and who do I have but an incredible legend on the show, Van Chancellor. What is going on in the background, you ask? Well, I thought it would be kind of cool to record the intro and the outro from a real live sporting event. No, I couldn't make it out to a WNBA game this week. The Dallas Wings are not in town. They'll be in town next Saturday. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to go out to that game. But I am in Frisco, Texas today for the FCS National Championship football game. What a weird year it's been. On May 16th, we got championship football in Frisco, Texas. And as I speak, see South Dakota State up 7-0 here in the second quarter on Sam Houston. But, alas, all that aside, you are here to hear from one of the all-time greats, Coach Van Chancellor, the first ever coach of the Houston Comets, one of the original eight franchises in the WNBA 25 seasons ago. And, of course, they won the first four championships as well, all of them under Chancellor. I thought there was no better time to catch up with Coach Chancellor, I got a chance to do a bunch of games with him this past year as he is a part of the Southland Conference's coverage of women's basketball. 
on ESPN, especially for the conference tournament. So enjoy the very affable 77-year-old Van Chancellor. I, I'm just excited to be on. It kind of lets me reminisce about some of the great times in my life. Well, you certainly had some amazing times as head coach of the Houston Comets. We're going to get to that. Of course, Van Chancellor and Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, a member of several halls of fame out there, a coach for 19 seasons at Ole Miss, plus the coach at LSU for several years as well. And uh, he just happens to be the head coach of the first four champions in the WNBA. So let's start here, Coach Chancellor. 25th season of the WNBA this year. I guess the generic question is, does it seem like it was that long ago? It doesn't seem like in 1997, 25 years ago, I moved from Oxford, Mississippi to Houston, Texas, and we started a team. We didn't even have any basketballs, any towels, or no place to practice. And we went to Houston Baptist University to, to have our first practice. And it was an exciting time, but it sure doesn't seem like it was 25 years ago. And a lot has changed since then. Um, but I, I guess, yeah, yeah, just starting a league, what was some of the first scuttlebutt that you started to hear that there might be a league started, and then how did you get offered that job? Well, in, in 1996, I heard that there might be a league. And, and then by that that fall and then by Christmas time, the start of 97, I heard it. And, and, but I could never get involved in a job. The, the comments at that time, which was owned by the Rockets, they tried to hire John, every coach in this country, and they all turned it down. And on the Friday before the draft, they couldn't hire anybody, so I'm the last person out there. So they offered me the job. Come on now, they, they just knew they couldn't. Uh, they knew they couldn't get you, right? That's what it no, was. They knew they didn't want me, and so when they couldn't get nobody else, they had to take me because they couldn't get nobody else. Well, were you beating down the door then? Were you being your own best advocate in this? I mean, how did it uh, come about that uh, eventually they said yes? Well, I just stayed after. I, I just, I was persistent. I wanted the job, and every time they turned around, I said, "If you offer it to me, I'm gonna take it." See, John, it's like this: I married my wife 58 years ago, and I wasn't in my mother-in-law's top 25 choices. So, being their last choice, that didn't bother me. I hear you, Coach. So you get the job, and it is right before the draft. Yes, on Sunday afternoon, with the draft on Monday, Tina Thompson decided to play in our league, and that was our first pick. We picked Tana Thompson with the first pick in the draft. She was the first draft pick ever. I was uh, watching Instagram, and she put out a little uh, thing about that, uh, about how she was uh, trying to decide between doing her LSAT and playing in the league, and finally at the last second she decided to play in the league. Did you ever talk to her about what, um, you know, tip her scales, uh, why she decided to make it happen? Well, what happened to her, she decided she could play basketball for a couple of three, four years, and she loved basketball, and then she could go to law school after that. Well, she she played and did so well. She played 17 years, and now she's a coach at Virginia. So uh, maybe, maybe law school's on hold still. It might be. It might be. But I'm sure she could go back and do it if she wanted to. Uh, of course, you start that program with, uh, Houston 
And not only did you get Tina Thompson, uh, but you ended up with uh, uh, with Cheryl Swoops. You ended up with Cynthia Cooper as well. And I, I saw Val Ackerman, uh, the original president of the league, had said, we didn't know how great Cynthia Cooper was. If we knew how great she was, we probably wouldn't have put her on uh, on Houston's team. What was your thought about uh, Cynthia Cooper when you knew you were going to get her? Well, I, I, I had realized that Cynthia was a real outstanding player at Southern Cal, but I kind of forgot her. And so when I found out she was going to be on my team, I had a player at Ole Miss named Jennifer Gillum. Who later, who played in the league and she called me and she said, you're just not going to believe it. You have got a great player in Cynthia Cooper. I went to our first practice and 30 minutes later, I told my assistant coaches, I said, Hey, I'm going to be a pretty good coach this year because we got the best player in the league. Well, you were absolutely right about that. She was the MVP of the league. She was the leading scorer, um, uh, for the first couple years of the league. And of course, the MVP. Uh, of the finals several years in a row as well. And that was only uh, the tip of the iceberg. But, you know, Cynthia, the fact that she was 34 at that point, um, it, you know, and and had a lot of experience, obviously, um, and was a great player. How do you think that might have helped her as she came into the league? Well, she she wanted to prove to everybody at home. She'd gone to Italy and averaged 37 points a game. Cynthia was on a mission when she came back here. She wanted to show everybody that she was a great player. I mean, practice would start at the old West Side Tennis Club at 11 o'clock, and, and Cynthia Cooper would show up at 8.30 and do a workout and, and shoot 300 shots. And uh, She just worked and wanted to show everybody that she was a great player. She did a pretty good job of that. Man, she sure did. We're talking with Van Chancellor, who was the uh, original coach of the Comets, won the championship four years in a row uh, to start the league out. So let's talk about just the first year of the league. Were there any big hiccups that you remember that kind of stick out to you? Funny things that happened that for a first year league, you had to just battle through? Well, the first thing was, that we had a, a, a preseason exhibition game against the Charlotte Steam. And I forgot I was the equipment person, and we were going to play them at Rice University. And when we came in, and I got about halfway there, and my trainer called me. She said, now, you, you know you've got the uniforms, don't you? I had to turn around and go back home because I not only was the head coach, I was the equipment person. I had to go back and get the equipment and always – Early in the league, your travel arrangements, you, you know, we flew commercially and, and a flight might get canceled. You just had all, you know, make, you had to make sure the bus was going to be there to pick you up from the airport. You just had all of those logistics problems. From a basketball point of view, it, it went really well. Now, logistically, did you have to book the flights and the hotels and stuff, or was somebody else doing that for you? See, we were lucky. The Rockets jumped in here. We had a, a general manager of the Rockets was named Carol Dawson, and he did a great job of helping us make sure that we had all the tools. We had a lot of Rocket personnel helping us with a lot of our stuff, and that was really, really nice. Of course, the way that Houston got behind the team, anytime you get a team that is winning, obviously you're going to draw some fans. What was the reception like for the Comets early on, though, in that season when, you know, obviously nobody knows whether you're going to be any good or not. 
It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. We drew, we sold out the old compact center, 16,285 people at the first game. We would go to places like the academy and you'd have 200 people lined up out the door wanting to get your signature and Cynthia's. And then we had in the little, each little area of the compact center, we had captains of our cheering people who got out the enthusiasm for our, our team was just unbelievable. See, we were made up with people who, who had to buy their tickets. When we played, our fans played. That's just the way it was. They, they grew up with our team, so in turn, they were a part of the team. They were like a player. They were just like, they just played with. You know, it's a lot of fun to think about. And, uh, you know, you see some uh, videos of uh, those um, those fans back in the day. They truly were rabid fans. And then when you start winning on top of that, Coach, everything just kind of builds on itself. Yeah. When we started winning, they just started loving our team. But, but they were thirsty for a women's basketball team. Now, we had a lot of families at that time. These, these were just women supporting women. These were families of four supporting the team because they could just identify with our team. And, and then in the second year, when we got Cheryl Swoop, you, you can see why I, I was able to ride three really good players to some championships. They didn't need a lot of coaching. I just made sure I didn't get in their way. But at the same time, there were, you know, different twists and turns throughout um, your 10 years, uh, obviously through the four years of championships, each one had its own kind of specific mark. And you bring up your big three. Um, one of our, uh, big listeners, uh, Curtis wanted to know uh, about uh, Janeth Arcane and get your thoughts on her. Obviously we hear about the big three all the time, all the time, all the time. And with good reason. Uh, but what stood out about her? Janeth Arcane was the greatest player that that was unselfish. She gave us so much for our team so we could win. And, and she could just do it all. See, she was considered in, in Brazil, she's considered the great, one of the greatest players of all time there. So when we got her, we made her, she didn't get to shoot as much. She had to defend more. And my biggest problem with Arcane, she didn't understand much Southern Mississippi accent. And I stand. <laughs> how she spoke from Brazil. So we were always having a little trouble communicating. I'll tell you that right now. But had the heart of a champ. Oh, I can remember in our third championship with, with two seconds on the clock, she made a shot that we were one point behind and, and won the game for us. She was just a great player and a clutch player. Well, it, so how did you uh, communicate with her? It was a lot of hand signals and broad gesturing. I, I, I communicated through her through my point guard, Kim Perot. I would tell Perot, she would tell Jeanette. Or if I'd tell Cheryl, well, most of the time when I told them something, either Cheryl or Cynthia repeated it so, uh, so Jeanette could understand it. I got you. And of course, Kim Perot was an incredible leader for you on the floor, uh, before she passed away from cancer at the age of 32. Uh, let's, let's go through Kim's, you know, career with you. Those first two years, she was a, a, a tryout player, correct? So how did you know that she belonged? Well, let me tell you, I did everything you could to cut her. I, I, I didn't have a point guard, so I had 60 trying out at St. Thomas High School. And, and I didn't want her. I tried to cut her and she just kept on. She came to training camp 
I brought in six more point guards, and she came in one day and she said, Cook, I don't know when my coach is going to wise up and put me at the point guard. I'm his girl. He just don't know it. I started her the next game, and that's when we went on our championship run. Give me, give me a little credit for taking me about two months to recognize she was my point guard. Well, we've all got to believe in ourselves, though, Coach. I mean, you know, you were just kind of talking about it before. You were really persistent persistent to get the job. She was really persistent to get your point guard job. Oh, she just stayed on me all the time. But now, oh, I just loved her to death. And uh, we we don't win the championship without her. And 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 it's sad enough that if she passes away, but it, it, we we would have won two more championships if she would have still been able to play because she just had the respect. I mean, every player on that team just loved her and respected her, and she would they would do what she said to. How tough was that? Just I think the illness to her death was only like seven months or something like that. It, it just came so fast. How tough was that on your team during that time? Outside of losing my mother and my sister, by far, I got the call in February that she had cancer and she died in August. And and when we went to the funeral, that, that might have been one of the toughest days and saddest days of my life because not only was she an outstanding player, but I probably liked her a whole lot better as a person because she and I just got along so well. Mm. That really is uh, inspirational, and uh, that's one reason that her number still is is hanging in the rafters after all these years. And uh, she is one of those players that, um, it, you know, you can't tell the story of the early years of the WNBA uh, without telling her story. And obviously you can't tell the early years of the WNBA without telling uh, the story of the Houston Comets. Still at the same time, Coach, um, uh, you guys have so much success. And then uh, toward the end of your run, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of years nine and ten, learning that the team was uh, about to be sold off and, and how that affected your decision to step away. Well, what happened to us, our league expanded, okay, but but we weren't ready. We went from eight to 16 really quickly. And so some of those teams folded. Well, in the meantime, we never got an expansion player like the Miami Heat. The Detroit team got Ruth Riley, a great player. Well, we didn't get any of those players. And then we were winning and our draft picks were real low. And, and so we struggled a little bit late. I didn't have any idea he's going to sell the team, but he called me in at the end of the 10th year and said, I'm going to, Mr. Alexander said, I'm going to sell the team. And I said, when you sell it, let me know. Cause when you sell it, I'm going to resign the next day. You can't coach pro ball without a great ownership that's strong. That's going to back you with the players. He sold the team on a Tuesday and announced his, he announced the sale on Wednesday and I resigned on Thursday and, and was retired for about a month and a half. And LSU called me and offered me the job. But I didn't want to coach the team without the backing of the Rocket organization. When the team folded a little while later, a couple of years later, how shocking was that for you? To me, when, when, when Mr. Alexander called me and told me that he had sold the team, that was a really sad day. That was just a, I was still the coach and that was sad. But when it folded, I cried a little bit because I, I could just remember us going through it. But I, I, I wasn't as worried about the financial back. And when I resigned, 
is I wanted an owner that could, could back me when a player come in and disagreed and said, trade me or get rid of the coach. And you, you got to have ownership to say to the player, we're really, we're going to really miss you. <laughs> I, I know that you are still very plugged in in the Houston area. It's been more than a decade now since Houston had a WNBA team. Now in the WNBA, we hear all the time, man, we need expansion. We need expansion. We need expansion. Do you think that Houston is ready for another shot? I, that would be hard to do. I, I'll, I'll just say that now. You you, you got to, first of all, have real ownership, and, and then you you got to have somebody that's going to get out in the community 365 days a year and sell the team. Uh, I, I would not say not. I, I would support it, but it's going to it's going to be a that would be a really hard sale. Like them have a team, but it's going to be tough. Uh, so what you're saying is uh, you've seen it from firsthand a decade of experience. It has got to be a solid organization, top to bottom, in order to succeed in this league. Yeah, and you got to You got to. I, I spoke 91 times in three months in 1998. You you got to be out there in the community selling tickets every day. You're further away from your career now, and maybe you get a chance to think back. Who were some players in the WNBA at that point that were the toughest to coach against, but never really got as much credit as you know the all-time greats? Maybe aren't remembered as the all-time greats in that league. Number one, Marie Ferdinand. It used to play for the San Antonio Spurs. She played at LSU, and I don't care. She she would just light us up. Mobika that played with the law. See, you think about Lisa Leslie, but the player we just could not guard was was Mabika. She was just so good, uh, you know. Now the toughest player that everybody knows. Now let me tell you the two toughest players I've ever tried to defend in coaching: Lisa Leslie and Diana Taurasi. Diana Taurasi put forty eight on me one night out here. And the only reason she didn't get 78, she got two horrible calls. They called charging. She made two three-pointers. The basket should have been good and got a free throw. They take both baskets away from her. Those were the kind that, that was uh, Hampton that played with New York. Oh, she was a post player. Now, I'm on, you talk about being a load. I know maybe that ain't a complimentary thing to say about a lady. But she was a load to defend. I'll tell you that right now. Now, going back to Diana Tarazi for just a moment, in that game where she put up 48, what kind of defenses did you try against her? How many defenses are there, John? Uh, I think about uh, 128. How, how about a triangle in two and put the triangle on her, so to speak? <laughs> how, about, how about face guarding her? How about doubling her every time she touched the ball. Uh, I mean, when you can shoot from downtown, the center over there, you can see from the baseball stadium in downtown Houston and make everything. I told her, I, when I coached her in the Olympics, I said, Tarasi, I didn't stop you that night. I, 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 the, I said, the referee stopped you that night. I said, you might, I, I was scared you was going to get a hundred. Well, we're visiting with uh, Van Chancellor, incredible coach, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. Uh, a gold medalist as well in uh, 2004. And coach, obviously you are uh, an LSU coach as well. And you got a chance to coach there from 2007 to 2011. They have made a huge splash this off season by enticing Kim Mulkey back to Louisiana uh, to coach the Tigers. What was your reaction when you heard that news? 
I called my buddies in LSU and I told them, I said, boys, y'all not only have hit a grand slam home run, y'all have hit the ball out of the stadium, out into the water in San Francisco, so to speak. I thought that was one of the greatest hires ever in the history of women's basketball. To hire a three-time national champs to pay her. I just, I just thought I was born too young. What a salary that lady's making. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, Coach. Yeah, I, I, I think those salaries are really going up. Um, one thing I wonder is, I, I mean, I, I know LSU is going to be all in with whatever she wants to do, but how much does a culture have to change when a, a big personality like Kim Mulkey comes to town? You know, what kind of shock is it going to be? It's going to be a shock for the players. I don't know about the area because she don't put up with much. John? She, she, hey, they, she walked in and let me tell you, there's a new sheriff in town in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and those players are going to have to go to work. She don't put up with much. And, and if you don't go to class, you don't get to stay on the team. And, uh, she's a pretty good disciplinarian. She's an old school coach. Uh, she played for Leon Barmore and she coaches just like he did. And so, hey, yeah. They, they, they done went through a culture shock. She's been on the job about a month. Those players don't know what hit them. What I love about doing games with you is you're not afraid to prognosticate a little bit and say, I think that this is going to happen. I think that that's going to happen. And I'll tell a story about that here in a second. But, um, it, you know, Coach Mulkey comes to town and we think about the, you know, the uh, instant success that uh, Vic Schaefer had in taking Texas deep into the NCAA tournament. Is there any reason to think that Coach Mulkey can't have that kind of immediate impact even just next year at LSU? I don't, I don't want to put any pressure on her, but she'd say the same thing. I'll say this. LSU will be in contention for a national championship within three years. Don't worry. I mean, I have no doubt she's going to go there and get the job done. This, see, this, this transfer immediately and be eligible makes it just made for her immediately. Any player in the country now can go to LSU and play right now. Uh, that's a great point, coach. Uh, how would you have dealt with that when you were a coach in the SEC? I mean, how would that have made your head swim back in the day? Transferring immediately, it probably would have fired me because I was such a demanding coach. I'd have had my whole team transferred. But I was. I couldn't help it. Well, I, I will say this. You are not a demanding announcer to work with. You are an absolute pleasure to work with. One of the best things I, I love about you is you just see the game so well. I was watching back to one of the games we did in the Southland Conference Tournament here recently, and you said, you know, I predict that Morgan Carrier for Southeastern Louisiana is going to hit a three to put her team ahead at the end of this game. And she was like over four from three at that point. Now, at the very end of the game, she got a shot down by two, and it rimmed out and could have given her team the win. I mean, it almost happened. But you're not you're not afraid to put out those predictions, and I love it. Well, when you announce, and you see, if you don't win a game, it don't bother you. See, 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 John. Here's the thing: a guy like you, I can do a game with you. You're a professional. I just follow you. I could do play. I could do uh, the color part in my sleep. I couldn't do your job if I wanted to. And vice versa, vice versa, my friend. I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to try to uh, see the game from your perspective. But uh, that's why you are who you are, Coach Chancellor. Thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Great walking down memory lane with you, and I just uh, wish you happiness and health. Oh, it's same to you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next year at the Southland Conference. 
Former LSU, Ole Miss, and Houston Comets head coach Dan Chancellor here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Evidently, it's third down. You can hear the bell tolling in the background here at the FCS championship game. I just love Coach Chancellor. I love how sharp he is at 77 years old. I love how much he remembers. You know, when I get to 77, there is no way I'm going to be able to pick names out like he can. And let me tell you my favorite story. It was the uh, Diana Tarazi story in there. And uh, so hopefully sometime down the line I can ask Tarazi about that 48-point game and what she remembers. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. I'm going to be back next week just because I like you that much. The executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron Barzilai. Our music by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. And our announcer is Susie Solis. I'm John Little reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insights about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. 